0: Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be back here with you for one more evening. Uh, not sure if it seemed to you that the five evenings went fast or went slowly, but uh, uh, I was glad for the other four evenings, and I'm glad for this evening and trust that God can bless our time together as he has in the past, uh, past evenings. <clears throat> Let me begin by thanking you for several things. Uh, thank you for the invitation to be here with you. Thanks for attending and for uh, graciously listening, for entering in when I've asked for input. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Thanks too for your hospitality, for the invitations into your home, and uh, thanks to those of you where it worked out and to those of you where it didn't work out. Uh, We thank you anyway, and uh, God bless you for for your generosity. My desire would be that God could take the loaves and fishes that were offered this week and that He would multiply them into the life and to the vitality of the church here at Weavertown. Am I on the air here? Okay, good. <clears throat> you know, my wife, Judy and uh, my daughter Christy, in fact all three of us, <coughs> had a wonderful time together these past days, but they had a little more interrupt, uninterrupted time than I did probably. One of the first projects for them was planting a few seeds, few of the earliest garden seeds and flowers in germination trays, uh, so that they could, after they grow a while, later transplant them, and then finally to be planted out into the garden. <coughs> This morning I heard Christy and she was nearly squealing and uh, daughters do that more than their fathers I think often but she looked in on that project of some of those earliest seeds they planted since Judy's been here and she saw the first sprouts that were starting to push that potting soil aside and push through the soil under those grow lights. She was seeing again the wonder of planting seeds and experiencing the excitement, the miracle of new growth somewhat like what we were talking about. Was it last evening? Was it uh, two evenings ago? Spiritually, for you here at Weavertown, I wish that same wonder and excitement for you in the coming days. The Church, the Holy Bride of Christ. God blessed me with a wonderful wife Uh, we had met, we had a time of getting to know each other, and God seemed to be leading us toward marriage. As the time grew closer, our excitement grew. For up until then, we could see each other only once in a while. But we both knew that after marriage we would live together. The anticipation gave us a great deal of motivation. The day of our marriage finally came. What we were so anxiously anticipating became reality. The scriptures use a similar word picture to describe Christ and His church. The Bible speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus taught in his parables about weddings, the need to be prepared, about invitations and things like that as he related to weddings. In this session, we want to look at the church as the Holy Bride of Christ. My first point <clears throat> we have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, a lot of planning goes into a wedding. How many of you parents have planned weddings for daughters or sons? Is it a lot of work? It's a lot of work. <laughs> we had uh the opportunity this past summer to plan about four weddings for our one daughter, <laughs> <laughs> something like that as the the parameters that we were dealing with kept changing and uh well finally, there was a plan b c d possibly that we settled on, and they're married and none the worse for it, so we're <laughs> glad for them. <laughs> You know, weddings are popular affairs. People like to be invited to weddings. When there's a wedding announced, conversations start buzzing. Let's say there's a group of you women gathered together at a uh, sewing circle. Let's say it's the, let's see, you have two sewing circles, the older ones and the younger ones, don't remember what you call them. But anyway, one or the other, that group is gathered together, and there's a, a, a group of women talking there and the conversation turns to an upcoming wedding doris turns to wilma and asks, did you get invited to so-and-so's wedding in december and wilma says "Uh, yes we did and i'm so looking forward to it i just love weddings how about you doris well i guess we'll probably go though i'll admit to being just a mite peeved the invitation came was duly received But it was clearly addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Sam and Doris Yoder. We got the message. Little Lois had to cry when she caught on that the children had not been invited. How about you, Sarah? Did you get an invitation? Well, either it's awfully late or we're just not going to get one. I guess we're not important enough with enough connections to qualify. Those of you that raised your hands a while ago, (coughs) you said you helped plan weddings. You know somehow it is when these young people are getting ready to send out the invitations. And they have all of these friends and all of these relatives. And that guest list just gets longer and longer and longer. And you think, how will this work out? (coughs) And well, not nearly everybody that's invited is going to come and on and on and on. Us earthly parents, those of us that are putting weddings on, we have our limitations, but I've got good news for you. Man is limited. God is not. God is not. Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life. We are invited this evening to take the water of life freely. Recently, <clears throat> sometime in the last year or two or three possibly, we were at a wedding, and we were toward the end of the line. We got there to the food line. Chicken was gone. Hadn't planned for enough, forgave too much to the first people or something. I don't know what the deal was, but things were uh, running out. It wasn't the first time that this uh, happened, that there was a problem with things running out. The first recorded miracle in John 2 of Jesus happened to be at a wedding. Oh, that's interesting. I guess that's it kind of is a theme about the importance of, uh, of the church as it relates to weddings. And there they were, out of wine. What are we going to do? Remember how Jesus' mother came to him and, hey, we got a problem here. And how Jesus rectified that problem. Whosoever will, running out of wine, running out of chicken, <laughs> it's no problem for the great creator the king of kings whosoever will his supply is not limited we have an infinite creator god the supply doesn't even seem to enter the equation it's whosoever will the maker of the universe is not hampered for lack of provisions second peter 3 verse 9 the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is calling his people. He wants us to come to repentance. He is inviting us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The invitation is open. It's generous. God is calling his people. Have we all sent in our RSVP? Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. What a blessing we have tonight. To have heard the announcement And to have received the invitation, we've received the invitation to the marriage supper. You know, not everyone that receives an invitation to an earthly wedding will come. And unfortunately, the majority of the people who received the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I'm afraid, will not make it. Not everyone will come to the wedding. In Matthew 22, we have a parable of Jesus, that Jesus was taught taught about the marriage that a king planned for his son. Seems plain that he's referring to the marriage, upcoming marriage to the church, his holy bride. If you wanna stand, let's read Matthew 22, uh, the first 10 verses or so. Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage." But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage." So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. You may be seated. In this parable, it seems Jesus was addressing the Jews, which had rejected Jesus, which had rejected him. They were not interested in coming to the wedding. They not only scorned the invitation, but they took the king's servants, treated them badly. Even killed some of them. That's exactly what happened to some of Jesus' followers as that church age was being established. The door then of salvation was opened to the Gentiles. And that's exciting news for all of us here tonight. Gentiles includes you and includes me. What a tremendous blessing, and what a tremendous opportunity we have to be living on this side of Calvary. And have that invitation extended to all of us, regardless of our race, creed, or color. <clears throat> you know, I find it hard to comprehend God's plan in the old dispensation, and I don't think we help ourselves particularly by trying to overthink that. But how would it have been to have been a Hivite, a Hittite, a Jebusite at the time that the the uh, the people, the land of Canaan, that the land of Canaan was being okay is this going to mess up the recording okay uh sam let's have a song maybe the last two verses of that uh one we we started Should I give you a couple of minutes? Maybe. Of Is it on now? Is it coming? Okay, we're good. Testing, testing. Is it still talking back? <laughs> I can talk plenty loud enough as far as that goes, but It's not going to record well this way. Okay. Is that going to work? Are we on? Okay, good. (laughs) I don't want to assign a lot of sinister uh, uh, blame on any of these interruptions, but uh, when God's word is going out, I don't think the the enemy of our souls likes it and... uh, (laughs) I just trust we'll have a good time together. I'm glad we're back on. <clears throat> okay, it's talking about how it would have been to have been a, a Hivite, a Hittite, a, a, a Jebusite, or Amorite—the conquest of Canaan. I don't know, and it isn't necessary to waste a lot of time thinking about it. We are where we are today, and we are tremendously blessed to be where we are today. God in his providence opened up the way in the new dispensation for those that will. Whosoever will shall take of the water of life freely. The Jews rejected God's invitation, and now the salvation is open to all of the rest of us. I am so grateful that I have been born on this side of Calvary. On this side of Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. Moving on, point three, there were excuses for missing the feast. Luke 14 uh, contains a similar parable to this one recorded in Matthew. In Luke, I don't think it explicitly calls it a wedding feast, but it contains similar elements to this Matthew story. The invited people did not come. In this parable, there were different distractions, different excuses that the people used to stay away from this great feast. I think we are in an unprecedented time or unprecedented time for the opportunities for distractions. I think you can identify your distractions, but we have just the, the things that have changed in communication and technology in the last 20, 30 years are just mind boggling and they continue to change. Uh, there can be just the the access to information that can be a distraction. It can be Facebook fights. It can be a lot of sort of things that can can, can take away uh, our energies and to, to compete for our attention. Distractions, excuses. Luke 14, 16, then, he said, then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, verse 17, and sent his su- servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. The food was ready. The servants were sent to invite the guests in. What a privilege, what excitement. The great meal was now ready, and, get, and they were ready to share it with the guests. Those people that were sent out, with that message, that invitation. I don't know what went through their minds as one after the other they were scorned with that good news invitation. A bit of disillusion, perhaps, disappointment on behalf of those who were bearing the good news and were met with indifference or rejection. Verse 18... In Luke verse 14. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto them, unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray. I pray thee have me excused. Can you imagine buying a piece of ground without having examined it closely beforehand? Hardly here in Lancaster County, anyway. If you're gonna be shelling out thirty, forty thousand an acre, you better go take a good look at it first. And I imagine even back in that time, it would have been a little bit of a lame excuse. I want to go look at the land. I haven't been involved in a lot of major land purchases, but it seems to me with something that major, you would have wanted to be pretty sure of what you were getting before you signed your name on the contract. And another said, I bought bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Okay. So he needed to go out and try these oxen. A bunch of you drive cars, I'm sure. Do you buy a car usually without taking it on a test drive first? Be pretty typical. You take you check it out. And another said I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now this one has married a wife. Why didn't he just bring her along? Wives like banquets. <laughs> So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper." Again, this parable seems directed to those who refused. Their refusal seems based on some kind of lame excuses. You know, it's easy for us, I think, to be critical, to look critically at the excuses of these invited ones. Okay? A big feast, three poor excuses. But there are parallels, I think, for us today. I would like to divide these three excuses into three categories that may strike closer to home than we want to admit. The first two have financial considerations. What was the first guy, first first excuse? I bought some land, and I wanna go take a look at it. I think We face a lot of decisions in life, a lot of long-term situations, a lot of long-term questions. I'm gonna call that first one long-term commitments. Home or land purchases can be long-term commitments that leave a person tied up and unavailable for service. I have long idealized traveling lightly financially. So that we're available for service opportunities when service opportunities arise. I do that imperfectly. Secondly, the man, man who bought the uh, oxen. We have shorter term obligations. The man bought some oxen. For some of us, or for that us, it could be business debt, it could be consumer debt. I'm particularly thoughtful about a lot of consumer debt. The need to keep up with the Joneses can be a tremendous snare. Someone said it this way, you should learn to live within your means if you have to borrow money to do it. and uh, (laughs) uh, We are driven a lot by peer pressure. It's not that much fun to drive the oldest vehicle in the church to wear the shabbiest clothes, to live in the oldest house. But you know I like when people travel lightly and they're available if the Lord asks them to go into service of some kind. How would it be for one of us to appear before the judgment seat and have Christ turn us away because our business was more important than serving him? I think we would be slow to admit that our business is more important than the things of the Lord. But how about our priorities, our personal devotions, our corporate devotions, those kinds of things. Priorities. Many were invited, but they gave excuses about why they didn't want to come. You know, when we are dealing with our carnal nature and our motives aren't quite right, it's kind of easy, uh, or it's a little hard for us to be up front with the real reason sometimes. If I don't want to go to church on Wednesday evening, I can generally come up with some excuse not to. Let's say there was a change of plans and all at once this popular chorus from back east is going to be there on Wednesday evening and suddenly that reason for not being able to be at church isn't there anymore and I'm able to go. You know, it wouldn't have sounded too holy, but those people that were invited to the feast should have just said, maybe, I don't really want to come. I really just don't want to come. Within reason, there's a sense that we will go wherever we most want to be. On that final day, I think many will be found wanting because of the priorities they set for their lives. Thirdly, I want to talk about family priorities. I want to be a little careful here with what I say. This man had married a wife, and that sounds like a noble undertaking. <clears throat> As I was studying for this topic, uh, I called, uh, decided to call Leonard Mast. He was a recruiter at Hillcrest uh, Home in Arkansas. Some of you know Leonard, okay? I wanted to hear from him what reasons he hears from people not wanting to come to serve. The first reason he mentioned was this, I have just started dating. Apparently he heard that quite a bit. He thinks we have marriage and the family tied pretty closely to the American dream. Once in a bit of frustration, he asked one of these people how they expected to serve the Lord after marriage. Lavelle, you gave us some good teaching the other night on, on uh, serving the Lord or being in the church and active in the church while single. <clears throat> Is it possible, I just want you to process with me, that in our efforts to protect our families, that we limit our availability for the kingdom? Family priorities, it's a tricky subject. We often hear that our children are our first missionary uh, missionary charge, and I think that's, that's good. It's very important that we have a high priority on our families. We agree on that. But I think I would stop short of saying that every ministry opportunity that the children should be given the right of first refusal, whether we're gonna do that or not. I like the example that Judy has said, or I think it was her, maybe others in her family. Uh, Sanford, her father traveled quite a bit in uh, church work. And at uh, some points when they were at home and it was a busy life for a, for a mother with nine or 10 children. And uh, it'd be getting along toward evening maybe whenever she assumed that Sanford was about ready to be getting up to speak. Children, let's gather around and let's play, pray for daddy. He's getting ready to, to preach. And I think there's some beautiful things about involving family in ministry. People can, with the best of intentions, say, I don't want to do anything that will upset my family. I will always put them first. And you can actually create a situation that has those, has those children growing up very uh, self-centered, very uh, entitlement-centered. Uh, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to be involved as a family in ministry. Michael, last evening you were talking about the family and ministry. Hear me out, I, th- I don't have time to really develop this well but I think there's, there's definitely a place that we give priority to our children our family but there's a time that I think we can encourage our family getting into ministry when they become a part of it instead of a competition to it. That make sense? Uh, much of kingdom living is about self-denial. You know, there's many times when a family can participate in ministry by experiencing some self-denial for the benefit of the, the ministry. Some of the best memories of our family, I think, some of the time when we were in Nicaragua going from remote village to remote village, maybe no electricity, possibly sleeping on a church floor, waking up with the roosters, Bathing in the creek, maybe. Uh, but there was something. We were together. And Daddy was ministering and, and working with, with pastors or whatever. There's a blessing in that kind of thing. Paul Yoder, uh, long-term uh, worker in Belgium, talking about their experience there. In many ways, it was a hard experience, but it helped shape their family values Those uh, during those critical formative years i would say our time that we spent on the field was important in helping those uh, formative years would you agree with that nate Amen. amen you know these considerations aren't conclusive or one size fits all not every ministry opportunity is a mandate from god probably many of you have been asked to do things that you didn't do but i think let's be careful how lightly we take those opportunities when God is is calling us and is asking something of us. There are valid reasons in conclusion with this part. Bear with me if you want to throw me out. We're planning to leave anyway. (laughs) There are valid reasons to turn down ministry opportunities, but never inconveniencing our children may leave them poorly prepared for kingdom work later. You're pretty quiet. (laughs) Okay, moving on to point number four. We need to have a wedding garment to enter the wedding feast. Matthew 22, verse 11, uh, Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The bride hath made herself ready. She is prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 22, verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. What is that wedding garment? What is that wedding garment? Verse 8 of Revelation 19 speaks of the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Righteousness. Righteousness. I'm trying to remember. Did someone in the last days speak of righteousness and define it? Was it in the Sunday sermon? No? I don't remember. You know, righteousness is not something we earn, but something we achieve by accepting Christ's finished work. Romans 5 and 6 speak much of this righteousness. Romans 5, verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. A gift of righteousness. Again, Paul writing to Titus, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done but it's according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. White, the wedding garment. The new birth, we talked about that one of the earlier evenings, we talked about Nicodemus and and, uh, and, uh, God's plan for him, that interaction. We access this new life through the new birth. The overcomers, Revelation 3, 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The overcomers are the ones qualified to wear the white raiment, the wedding garments. We face a lot of situations that are much larger than we are situations where we are helpless on our own strength we cry out to god we feel his strength perfected in our weakness like the apostle paul did in that strength we rise and we face the battle the temptation the enemy and we can become overcomers instead of being overcome you know it's fascinating to watch an expert surfer out on the ocean the waves of the ocean I can imagine the exhilaration and the challenge of riding those swells. It wouldn't be for me. I can just watch from a distance. I can hardly swim. But the ocean is not to be trifled with. An inexperienced swimmer who's caught in the waves and the currents can quickly be cast into a struggle for his very life. You know, there's about six feet of difference between the surfer having the time of his life and the drowning swimmer. Six feet of difference between overcomers and overcome. Where are we today? It is the overcomers who are qualified to wear the white garments. Point number five. We need to be watching and ready to enter the wedding feast. Matthew 25, yet another story about a a wedding. This is a very familiar story, the story of the ten virgins. I don't understand all of the customs of Palestine. I don't understand all of the customs of a worldly North American wedding. But we've had the opportunity to experience some weddings in other cultures. I've been at a uh, a wedding now in India, and that was a fascinating experience. While Judy and I, our family, was in, uh, were in Nicaragua, <clears throat> we got in on many Latin American customs, and we were one day invited to a wedding. There were several weddings we were supposed to be involved with. Uh, we were the foreign mission personnel, and there was a certain intrigue associated with that. So, uh, <clears throat> one of the weddings that we decided to attend was a wedding back in San Jeronimo. It was back in past where the electricity reached. And it was a village that I visited fairly often in my work. Anyway, the pastor there, Pedro Artola, his son was getting married, and we were invited to the wedding. The time on the invitation was given as 10 o'clock, I believe. However, before we went to the wedding, one of our Nicaraguan friends said, uh, uh, that's not really gonna be 10 o'clock, it's gonna be quite a bit later. And I don't remember, I think we ambled our way in there and got there around noon, I'm not sure. And we started waiting. They took us in on the tree, but we had kind of an honored place, honored position there. And we commenced to wait, we waited a while and then we waited some more. <clears throat> And as we waited, we gathered some of the customs for weddings in this area. A a herd of a bunch of horsemen had been dispatched to go to the village where the bride lived. And then she would be brought back in this entourage and the wedding would commence, would occur there in that village. Finally, probably around the middle of the afternoon, there was a little bit of excitement and the noise started uh, going around, the buzz that uh, they're coming. There in that rocky village, those horse hooves pounded over and we just hear these horses as they came closer. Probably 30 or 40 horses came storming and stomping into the area where we were. And in amongst all of them was the bride. She'd been brought in for this wedding. It was really kind of a neat experience. The whole thing felt like it was a little bit of a cross between a rehearsal and a ceremony. Uh, We kind of foiled uh, after she got ready and reappeared from the house. We followed and formed this line and up over and around and ended up in the church building. And uh, the upshot of the whole day was the couple got married and we spent a lot of time waiting. You know, as I thought about this later, this had quite a few similarities to the situation here in Matthew 25. The story of the 10 virgins, waiting, didn't really know when this thing was gonna happen, but they were planning to go. For time, I think, no, we can do it quickly matthew twenty five verse one then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. I want you to be thinking about the characteristics of these virgins, and i 'm going to have a little ask for a little input after a bit, and they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried. They all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Can you imagine with me the conversation of the day when this story was given? Imagine a Susie talking to Anne. What are you doing this evening? Ah, I'm going to Zebedee and Magdalena's wedding. How about you? Yeah, me too. I just love weddings. And to think one of these days, it will be me or you. Do you really think Zedekiah likes me? He's so cute. I don't know. Maybe girls didn't talk like that back then. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I can imagine the chit-chat, the back and forth. I can imagine... uh, Other girls discussing their plans and the various ones telling about their plans to be at the wedding that evening or night. I don't know who all, but at least 10 girls or 10 women made plans to go to the wedding. It was apparent that all 10 planned to be there at the wedding. How did it pan out? How did it pan out? Only five made it. They didn't all realize their wish. What was the difference between the two groups of women? One was prepared and the other one wasn't. Okay, five were prepared and five were not prepared. Okay. Five were wise. Five were foolish. Five went. Five didn't. Fair enough? You know, it's sobering to think that on the final day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, there, there will be people who are planning to attend, but won't be admitted. People who assume they would be there and would fi- will find themselves outside. I'm no theologian. I don't know what all the nuances are of this story. What does the oil represent? What does the, those kinds of things. But I think we can rest on this detail Five assumed they would attend, but did not prepare sufficiently to make it reality. That's kind of the bare facts. Now, a wedding is a wedding. My brother and I, back when we were maybe 16 and 14, we were doing chores at another place, and we were coming back. And we got distracted and ended up getting a pickup stuck in a field and got a tractor to try to pull the pickup out and this was a community wedding and I think my dad was having part in the wedding and uh, they were kind of worried we weren't coming home, we didn't make it and uh, it was a long series of events but we, we missed the wedding completely. We were actually got in on, on the reception I think. And you know, it wasn't that big a deal. To miss that wedding but missing the marriage supper of the lamb is a mistake of eternal and enormous consequence point number six the bride must be holy second corinthians 11 verse 2 for i'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy for i've espoused you to one husband that i may present you as a chaste virgin to christ I can testify to the glory of God that when Judy and I were married, we had both saved ourselves morally for each other. There's something beautiful, almost sacred, about entering to marriage that way. I find it hard to imagine another way. You know, God can, he does forgive a person's sinful past. Those things are past, they can't be changed. And He can he can sanctify even in those situations. But there's something beautiful about a holy matrimony God is a holy God God does not tolerate sin when Christ comes he's coming for a holy bride the church that will be will ultimately be united to Christ will be a chaste virgin a holy bride you know we've probably all heard stories of unfaithful partners men or women having a secret affair we can well imagine the emotions running through the mind of a faithful partner their children there's shock, there's pain, there's shame, there's suffering. There's the uh, types of affairs that are carried out more, more or less in the, in the public, but there's some that are private. that are going to wait, I think, for the final day to be revealed. You know, God knows in our Adamic nature, there's something alluring about the forbidden fruit. Men today are still falling for forbidden fruit. Marriage partners committed to one person, but on the side, having a relationship with another. In Nicaragua, where we lived, prostitution was widespread. It wasn't unusual in broad daylight to see prostitutes alongside the road leading into towns. They were there, they were calling and beckoning for the men of the street to come, take of their illicit fruit. In that sinful culture, you were too, far too successful. But I can only imagine what that would have done to a strong relationship otherwise. Man is intrigued with the allure of the forbidden. The original sin in man was literally the allure of the forbidden fruit. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> the Israelites were unfaithful to God. The prophets, the imagery was often about Harlotry, prostitution, those kinds of things, as they were unfaithful to the God of heaven. How many people today in general Christianity profess a love for their husband, Jesus Christ, but spend their entire life flirting and frittering with the attraction of the roadside harlots? Do we have a genuine love for the groom? Do we spend time in inti- com- intimate communion and fellowship with him in the garden, in the cool of the day? Are we, are we overwhelmed with his love to us, unable to comprehend what he saw in me to invite me to be his for life? He is our fidelity, obvious to the world around us, our business associates, our neighbors, our friends. Can they see? There was a popular... Uh, Gospel song, can the world see Jesus when they look at your life? Many of today's marriages, uh, this seventh point, a close relationship takes effort. Uh, It's not automatic. So many of today's marriages end in divorce. I think Michael referred to this last evening. Couples who parted ways. perhaps from some serious willful transgression or maybe just a general, gradual drifting apart. We just don't have that spark anymore. It seems we don't share common interests anymore. In the book of Revelation, we have the messages to the churches. The first church addressed in Revelation 2 is talking about the church at Ephesus. There's some pretty high commendation to the Church of Ephesus. The things they've been able to take a stand on, the things they are not budging on. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. I love my dear wife Judy, but sometimes I'm not attentive and don't see her needs. If I'm engrossed in something, I can kind of ignore her. Other times, I'm just not as considered as I should be. You know, it's fun to observe godly young couples who are deeply in love with each other. It's good to see the Aaron and Christies, the Matt and Sharons, uh, and be around them. It's a good experience. You married people may well recall the special joy you had when you were dating. Each visit you anticipated joyfully. Fairly often, Judy and I are called to be apart from each other when I'm gone on uh, some type of ministry. And it's such a blessing after that time of separation to come together once again. I want us to reflect this evening how is my relationship to the church? How is my commitment to her? Is it obvious to all that I love her? Do others see my urgency to be in her presence? Am I doing my part to keep the fire in my relationship to her? In conclusion, the scriptures speak of the church as the Holy Bride of Christ. We've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How have we responded to that invitation? Tonight... We have that opportunity, we must be prepared. When the bridegroom came, it was too late to go buy oil. When Jesus comes, he's coming for his holy bride, a bride who has been washed in the blood of the lamb, a bride who has overcome, a bride who is holy and chaste, a bride who is prepared. May we all be found in that number on that final day, that great wedding day, so that we can enter into eternal communion with the bridegroom in those mansions that he's going to prepare for his people. May we all be welcomed by the groom himself with these beautiful, blessed words. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and there to spend the ceaseless ages of eternity in his presence. He is worthy, praise his name, thank you.